the phone right now, but maybe I just don't want to. <laughs> just kidding. Leave a message. Taylor, hey, it's me, Trevor. I'm outside the concert, wondering where you're at. I think I'm in the right spot, and I think it's already started, and I was... Hello? Hello? Can't get on the phone right now, but maybe I just don't want to. <laughs> just kidding. Leave a message. Hey, your voicemail cut me off. So what I was saying was I'm outside... Right now, but maybe I just don't want to. <laughs> just give me a message. Okay, I'll talk faster for whatever reason. Can't get on the phone right now, but maybe I just don't want to. <laughs> just give me a message. The funniest thing keeps cutting me off. Can't get on the phone right now. Can't get on the phone. Maybe I just don't want to. <laughs> Hey, I'll talk really, really fast because for whatever reason, your little voicemail message thingy keeps cutting me off. Maybe it's because you have a cheap phone. Yeah, I said it. Hey, look, look, I see the writing on the wall. I am here, you invited me, and I'm standing out here like some dork waiting for you, huh? I got stood up by a buddy. What is that about? This is so you. This is so high school all over again. You get some more important friends, and me, I'm left like some chump. You have bad breath. Has anyone in your life ever told you that? It stinks, and you will not have me, Mr. Trevor, to kick around anymore. Do you hear me? No more. Bro! Mailbox is full. Full of that. Hey, hey, I'm sorry I'm late. Uh, I tried to call you, but my phone's checked up. Anyway, the reason I'm late is I ran into this guy who was selling his tickets. You're gonna love this, okay? Get this. Box seats, all-you-can-eat food, the best seats in the house, and the best part? My treat. I mean, think about it. You're my best buddy, right? I mean, what better way to say thank you than these? Hang on, I was expecting a call. Just take, just take a minute. Oh, it's a message from you. And another one. And another one. that's going to work out the way he thinks it is. <laughs> Just breaking the phone. Uh, we're talking about the danger in anger today. And um, I don't know, I've actually done that before where I left a voicemail on somebody's phone that I didn't want them to hear. Um, not a proud moment, but um, you know, there is inside of us a danger, something bubbling up just underneath the surface. And if that's checked, if it's not checked, um, if we're not walking, you know, in the Holy Spirit, then that kind of stuff can come bubbling out in a very unrighteous way. Um, when, uh, when we lived in Indiana, our, our family moved up to Indiana. When we lived up there, we bought a house that has a sump pump, right? I had never had a sump pump before. 
Didn't seem like that big of a deal to me. Um, So we bought the house. And later we found out that the neighborhood that we lived in was built like on what used to be a swamp. Okay? Was talking to my neighbor. They had actually drained this whole thing out and thought it was a good idea to put a neighborhood in there. And I was talking to him and he said, yeah, when I saw them digging the foundation for your house, I had them put two sump pumps in my house. I was like, okay, great. Thanks a lot. And so because of that, our house sat below what they call the water table, lots of water. So there was constantly water flowing in. And I would estimate that out of 365 days, that there was probably water flowing into the, pump, into the pit about 300 of those 365 days. It was always going in. And it would go off in the dry season. It would go off every 20 to 30 minutes. Not normal, okay? And... The house was only five years old. It was like a newer house, but it was on its third pump. It had gone through three pumps in five years. It was ridiculous. So as time went on, I realized this was going to be a potential issue, and it gave me a lot of anxiety. And so part of my daily routine would be to go down and look in the pit and then check the pump and then check the backup battery. And I did that like every day because it gave me such anxiety. But one one night, it was like a Friday night, we had a spring storm, and I mean, it rained hard. And it sent the pump into overdrive. It was going off like every three or four minutes. And so I'm down there watching it, and you know, it goes all night, and hoping the power doesn't go out. And the next day was Saturday, and I was outside doing some landscaping. And I looked over, I heard the, the pump go off, right? And the pipe comes out of the house, and it goes into one of those black corrugated pipes that goes under the ground, and I found out runs the entire length of my backyard into the storm drain. And so I look over, I hear it go off, drains in, and all of a sudden water comes shooting out of the pipe, straight in the air, about 10 feet in the air. I had a geyser in my backyard. This was a problem. And I panicked because the water, not only is it not draining, but it's going back down into the pit, okay? So I'm freaking out at this point. So I ran like to Home Depot and I did a MacGyver thing so I could get it out. And I had to call a company to come out and check it and run like one of those cameras through the pipe to see where the clog was. And he didn't have to go very far, only went about 10 or 12 feet because I had this bush in my landscaping that was growing much faster and much taller than all of the other ones. And what had happened was the roots from that bush had grown down into the pipe and clogged it up completely. Put the picture up there. That is it. You can see it's completely full of roots. I cut that thing out, and that is one, that's one half of the root that was coming out of this thing. And so I spent my next Saturday, I spent my next Saturday digging this thing up, and it was like three feet under the ground. It was a project. So I got that thing out, and... You know, I could see on the surface that there were some problems, there were some signs, but underneath the ground was where the real issue was, where it couldn't be seen. What was just kind of an irritation or an annoyance to me ended up a potential disaster, which could have been water in my basement. And, you know, when Jesus is talking to these people on the Sermon on the Mount, um, he's telling them things may look okay on the outside. Like, you may look like you're doing all the right things, you're keeping the rules, but underneath the surface, there's a problem. There's something bubbling up there that needs to be taken care of. There is an attitude, there is something wrong with your heart that needs to be addressed, and that's what Jesus is talking to them. It's not about how you perform outwardly. You may look like this huge, thriving bush, right? But you've got problems underneath. And he gets to the heart of the issue, and this week, we're going to talk about anger. 
Isn't that fun? Anger. Yeah, that's one we all like to talk about. The danger with anger. Uh, Last week, we talked about the law, right? That was different. We talked about the law and how the purpose of the law was to show us how, you know, utterly short we fall of God's standards. And it points points out our shortcomings. It points out our need for a savior. Um, And Paul said that the law is actually a schoolmaster. It teaches us, it shows us how much we need a savior, uh, that we have no righteousness in and of ourselves. And the Pharisees knew this. They knew they couldn't keep the rules perfectly. So what they started to do was write a bunch of new rules, ones that they could keep in the flesh, and then they kind of develop their own righteousness. If we can control our behavior outside, then that will help us attain righteousness and get to God's standards. But the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus is making the point that, you know, although you may be good at keeping rules, there is an attitude behind the action that needs to be addressed. Uh, I read this week that Jesus did not fulfill the law so that we didn't have to obey it. Sometimes we hear people say, we're free from the law. You know, Christ set us free from the law. And he did. He set us free from the penalty of the law and all of these rules and rituals that these Pharisees had come up with, but he still expects us to live a holy life. And the reason why he came to fulfill the law because we couldn't do it was so that when we fail, which we do daily, when we fail, that's not the end of the story. Because his forgiveness, his grace is greater than that. So God doesn't just want external obedience. He wants inward. He wants an inward relationship. He wants inwardly for us to be right. He wants our heart. Because if righteousness doesn't exist in our heart, it doesn't exist at all. But once your heart, once your heart is in line with him, then your behaviors and everything else are going to line up. It's like the little boy who was riding in the car with his dad, and he was standing up in the back seat, and his dad said, listen, Johnny, you need to sit down. You can't stand while I'm driving. And Johnny said, I don't want to sit down. I mean, the seatbelt's uncomfortable, and it rubs up against my neck. I want to stand up. And so his dad says, well, Johnny, if you're not going to be obedient, then I'm going to have to pull the car over, and you're going to have to be disciplined. So Johnny sits down, and he does his seatbelt. They ride along for a little bit, and Johnny says, I'm sitting down, but I'm standing up on the inside. I'm standing up on the inside. And we do that. We get really good at masking our emotions, at, you know, controlling our behavior outwardly, but we have a heart problem. We have something inside of us that needs to be addressed. Um, Our text today is going to be Matthew 5. We're going to do verses 21 through 26. All about anger. You have heard that it was said to those of old, you shall not murder, and whoever murders will be liable to judgment. But I say to you that everyone who is angry with his brother will be liable to judgment. Whoever insults his brother will be liable to the council, and whoever says you fool will be liable to the hell of fire. So if you're offering your gift at the altar, and there you remember that your brother has something against you, leave your gift there before the altar and go. First be reconciled to your brother and then come and offer your gift. Come to terms quickly with your accuser while you're going with him to the court, lest your accuser hand you over to the judge and the judge to the guard and the guard you will be put in prison. Truly, I say to you, you will never get out until you have paid the last penny. You're not going to get out until you've paid the last penny. Anger 
itself is a divinely implanted emotion. It's an emotion that was put there by God. And there is a righteous kind of anger. We see this all throughout the Old Testament. God's righteous anger towards his people who kept disobeying and kept falling into idolatry and walking away from God. And so we see God's righteous wrath on his people, right? He had the right to do that. He had the right to be angry. And he has, he's the only one that had the right to judge them and dole out punishment because he is perfect. And so we see that. And Jesus had it. Jesus had a righteous anger uh, towards the end of his ministry after he had ridden in on the donkey, right? The triumphal procession. He walks into town. He walks past the temple and he sees all these people in there and they're selling animals, They're selling lambs and they're selling doves and sheep and all these things. And then he sees the money changers, these guys that, you know, help people change their money from one denomination to another. Now, that doesn't sound like a bad thing. I mean, people needed offering sacrifices, so the people were providing that. And if you were from a different country, when you came and you were going to pay the temple tax, you needed that kind of money. And so they would change it out for you. But what was happening was... Um, when people would show up at the temple with their, with their sacrifice, they would bring their own lamb or they would bring their own set of doves. And the priest would have to inspect them to make sure that they were faultless, that they were pure. And guess how many of those passed inspection? Not very many, unfortunately. But it's your lucky day because right here in this pen beside me, we have pre-approved animals that have already been inspected that are owned by the priest, by the way. And you can buy one. And then I'll be a perfect sacrifice. And then the money changers, as I mentioned, people would come in from all over the country and they would need the temple tax. And so they would change their money. And the people that were changing money were charging them huge fees just to switch their money over. Now, Devin is going to study over in England um, this fall. And I've been keeping an eye on the pound and the exchange rate for the dollar. Because when he gets there, he's not going to be able to use dollars. He's going to have to use pounds. The exchange rate's not good. I can tell you that right now, especially when we keep printing money. It's not good. But the point is when we go over there, he's going to have to change that over. And they were charging huge fees. And when Jesus saw this happening, he had a righteous anger rise up inside of him. And he said, my, you know, my father's house was supposed to be a place of prayer and you have turned it into a den of robbers. You are ripping people off. You're doing business here instead of worshiping God. And he flips over the tables and he drives the animals out, which would have been you know, really, really interesting to see. Uh, another reason why the Pharisees were seeking to destroy him. But if we love righteousness, if we are those that love God and love righteousness, then the things that are evil, the things that are going wrong in the world should make us angry. There should be a righteous anger. The things that are going on in our schools, the things that are being taught to our children, the decimation of family and gender, and you know all of these things, human trafficking, all of this is just a small sample of things that should cause a righteous anger to rise up inside of us. Um, you know, Anger is closely associated with our desire to be right. You know, is, for those that are right fighters, you have a tendency to get angry and a righteous kind of anger. And that's okay as long as it doesn't cross over. But unfortunately, most of the time when we get wronged or when we get hurt, that tends to lash out at other people in a very unrighteous way. And it's worth noting here that there is only one letter difference between the word anger and the word danger. There's a real danger when it comes to anger. 
And Jesus starts out by saying, you have heard that it was said. Now, last week we were talking about the law and how he didn't come to do away with the law, but to fulfill it. And we talked about how the Pharisees and the scribes over time had written all this commentary and all these extra rules that they put on the people that made for heavy burdens. Um, But over time, those commentaries and those rules were given just as much weight as the scriptures themselves. Now, that sounds strange to us, but they were not much different than the church in the 16th century during the Dark Ages because those people did not have Bibles. They could not read the scriptures for themselves. A lot of it was in Latin, and they would go to services, and the priest would teach in Latin, and they didn't understand that, and so they had to rely on the priest and their you know, commentary, their opinions on the scriptures. They could not read it to see if it was true, to double-check it. And so the people in Israel at that time, similarly, they didn't own copies of the law at their home, right? They were expensive. They didn't have access to it. So they were relying on the rabbis to teach them the truth. And they didn't have a way to double check it necessarily. And so the, you know, commentaries and the rules were given just as much weight. And when the Bible was finally put into the hands of people in a language that they could understand, the, you know, the Protestant Reformation took place. And that's what brought them out of the dark ages when people got the scriptures into them and they could learn it from themselves, hear from the Holy Spirit. And the people in Jesus' day did not have that. And so Jesus said, you have heard that it was said. And he's about to contrast human teaching with divine wisdom. He's going to contrast human teaching with divine wisdom. This was a complete departure from what had been happening, both in content and delivery. This was totally different. This is the reason why people said, we never heard anyone teach like this guy. Nobody ever taught like him. He is expounding on the scriptures. He's teaching as one who has authority. He's not just reading it dry and then giving somebody else's opinion on it. It just blew their minds. And Jesus is telling them that the spirit of the law is more important than the letter of the law. The law was not an end to itself. It was a guide. It was to guide people towards their need for a savior. Uh, most people see God, well, I shouldn't say most, a lot of people see God as a cosmic killjoy, right? That he is this brutal judge that he's up there just, you know, waiting to zap people with bolts of lightning whenever they step out of line. But the beautiful thing is that the demander of righteousness, the one who demands righteousness is also the giver of righteousness, right? The lawgiver is also the redeemer. He made a way where there was no way. Um, if you remember that song, <laughs> um, he has made a way where there was no way. Uh, Jesus starts out by saying, you have heard that it was said to those of old, you shall not murder and whoever murders will be liable to judgment. But I say to you that everyone who is angry with his brother will be liable to judgment. Man's first crime was homicide. Murder. That was man's first crime. In Genesis 4, Cain took the life of his brother Abel. He took the life of his brother because he was angry. He was jealous because God accepted Abel's sacrifice, his offering, but he did not accept Cain's. And Cain said, that's not fair. You must like Abel more. And he got ticked. But what Cain had was a heart problem. He had an attitude problem. He did not present his offering in a pure way. And as a result, it wasn't accepted. So he got angry and it was left unchecked and it led to an explosion of anger and eventually murder. God told Cain, he said, listen, Cain, sin is crouching at the door, but you must master it. 
You must master it. You must not give in to that anger. But he did. And anger is an emotion that can motivate us to either do really good things or really evil things. But the choice is ours. We have a choice. Anger is a choice, and it can also become a habit if it's not checked. Uh, That's why Jesus judges the attitude as well as the act. Last year, the murder rate in America was one of the highest that it's been in 25 years. Uh, Just from 2019 to 2021, there's a 44% increase in violent crime. I mean, sin is escalating at, you know, an incredible, staggering rate. And if you list, you know, if you add to that list um, suicides and abortions and all that kind of stuff, the numbers just get, you know, very hard to comprehend. Um, All sin is inspired by the would-be murderer of God, Satan. It's all inspired by him. Uh, John 8 Jesus tells the Pharisees, he says that your father is Satan. That's pretty heavy. And he says, Satan is the father of lies, and he's been a murderer since the beginning, is what Jesus calls him. All sin is inspired by Satan, but it flows out of the human heart. That's what Jesus is getting at. In Matthew 15, 19, he says that out of the heart flow evil thoughts, murder, adultery, sexual immorality, theft, false witness, slander. All of these things come from the human heart. So the real question is, how is your heart? What's the condition of your heart? And the idea that Jesus is talking about here is a brooding, kind of festering type of anger, like a hate that you might have. An anger that doesn't want reconciliation. You don't want to be reconciled to that person. You like your anger. I have a right to be angry with that person. That's why Jesus says, if you're angry with your brother, you're guilty of murder in your heart. He shatters our sense of self-righteousness by talking about our intentions because it starts with evil thoughts. All of that starts with evil thoughts. It starts in here before it gets to here. It starts in the heart before it gets to the hands. And if we're guilty of anger, we're guilty of murder, and we're guilty of and deserving of a murderer's punishment. It's heavy stuff because who hasn't been angry? with somebody who hasn't been angry with their brother, who hasn't had hate for somebody else at one time or another in their life. Some of us are still angry. We're angry at our situations. We're angry at somebody who's hurt us. We're angry at past hurts. And we carry that. And it's something that, you know, festers inside of us. We've all held a grudge. And we think about it. We, some people enjoy being angry. They just like you know, wallowing in it because they have a right to be angry at that other person and they don't want to forgive. But it becomes worse the more that we hold on to it and it becomes a poison really inside of us. It starts eating us up. Uh, Winston Churchill had a very notorious feud with another politician called Lady Astor. And one day she lashed out at Winston and she said, Winston, if I was your wife, I would put poison in your tea. And Churchill replied, he said, if I was your husband, I'd drink it. (laughs) But anger, these two had a lot of anger towards each other, but anger inside of us can be a poison and an emotional cancer if we don't address it. So here's a few characteristics of anger, uh, going back to my analogy of the roots. Um, Anger usually starts with small seeds. 
usually starts with small seeds. This might come as a shock, but the greatest threat to your happiness um, is other people. Other people are the greatest threat to your happiness and your peace. Seeds of anger get planted in the soil of your heart when somebody hurts you. When somebody wrongs you, that goes into your heart, and then you have a decision to make. Am I going to forgive that person, or am I going to hold on to bitterness? When somebody wrongs us, our righteous radar goes off, and then we have a decision to make. Bitterness is just anger because of a personal hurt. We've been hurt personally, and we're holding on to it, and over time, that poison works its way into us, and we become bitter. And the writer of Hebrews in chapter 12, verses 14 and 15 tells us, Strive for peace with everyone, and for the holiness without which no one will see the Lord. See to it that no one fails to obtain the grace of God, that no root of bitterness springs up and causes trouble. And by it many become defiled. Many become defiled by a root of bitterness because of unforgiveness, because of the anger inside their hearts. And notice, it doesn't say wish for peace or hope for peace. It says strive for peace. This is an act of the will. We have to make a decision. There is action on our part that's required. And here's the bottom line, guys. We are commanded to forgive. It's not an option. It's not optional to forgive. We are commanded to forgive. Because if we have unforgiveness in our heart, God can't forgive us. That is heavy. You talk about heavy, that's heavy. If we don't forgive others, God won't forgive us. Because Jesus is addressing the attitude behind the action. Uh, Those small seeds might lay dormant inside of us for a long time. And if we let them stay there, if we nurture them, then we're going to have really a hellish harvest to deal with when it cracks the surface. Another characteristic of anger is that those seeds require the right soil to grow. It's amazing to me if you just leave your yard alone, if you don't do anything to it, it's going to become a bunch of weeds. It takes work to keep the soil in your yard, to keep your yard looking nice, to keep weeds out of it. You got to like, you know, fertilize it. You got to, you know, aerate it and verticut it and all that kind of stuff. It takes work. You have to strive for uh, a weedless soil. Um, If you're going to do that in your own life, practically, but in your heart, you need to tend the soil of your heart. And in 2 Peter 3, uh, Peter is writing to the church about the return of the Lord, about Jesus' second coming. And it says, listen, listen to these two verses that he ends the letter with. These are his parting words. Therefore, dear friends, since you've been forewarned, be on your guard so that you may not be carried away by the error of lawless and fall from your secure position. But grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. To him be the glory both now and forever. Amen. We can either choose to grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ, or we can let bad, evil things grow inside of us. It's our choice. How do we keep the soil of our hearts in good condition? We grow in the grace and the knowledge of Jesus. We do that by being in his word, by worshiping, and being around his people. That's the reason, really, why church and small groups and community are so important, because we spur each other on towards good works, and we keep each other accountable, and we can address these things. 
And yes, I'm, I'm telling you to come to church and read your Bible. <laughs> That's a very basic thing, but it's just because it's easy doesn't mean that it's wrong, right? Um, but also doesn't mean that it's, you know, easy because it's simple. Just because it's simple doesn't mean it's easy. Um, it is tough, but we need to, you know, uh, dedicate ourselves to that. Growing in the grace and knowledge of Jesus. The third characteristic of anger is that it can develop deep roots, um, just like my little root problem under the surface, um, eventually it was going to come out. I saw little signs, but eventually it was going to become a big problem. And if we let those roots go deep inside of us, eventually it's going to come up. It's going to crack the surface. And that comes out in the things that we say and do. And the things that we say and do can be very, very costly. Uh, they can have a big cost. James says that our tongues are lit on fire by hell. Our tongues, the things that we say in anger are inspired by hell. Solomon writes all about the power of the tongue, how we talk and what we say. Uh, There is a uh, Chinese proverb that I read this week that says, there is no horse fast enough to retrieve words that are spoken in anger. Once they're out there, once it's unwrapped, you can't get that back. Paul writes to the Colossians, Chapter 2, verses 6 and 7, he says, Therefore, as you have received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in him, rooted and built up in him, and established in the faith, just as you were taught, abounding in thanksgiving. So walk by faith, be rooted in him, and be hilariously thankful. Count your blessings, literally. If you are thankful, if you think about the things that God has done for you and in you and through you, it's going to have a really hard time for those roots to go down deep and set themselves in your life. They're going to be shallow and they're going to be easy to be plucked up if you, you know, think about all of the things that God's done for you, if you are living with an attitude of gratitude. Okay, Jesus uses another progression as he goes from anger to insults. He says, whoever insults his brother will be liable to the council. And the council was uh, the Sanhedrin. And basically the Sanhedrin was the ruling body of the country. Uh, These were like the Supreme Court of their day. So they only tried the most serious cases. And Jesus says, if you start insulting people, you're going to be, you know, dragged in front of the Supreme Court. That's how serious insults can be. Why are insults so serious? Because what started out as an attitude has now cracked the surface. It's now out in the open. You have now spoken it into existence. And we have a term for that, speaking evil against another person. You're going to see a lot of this this year uh, because we're in a political year. And, you know, the ads have already started. And the word that we have for speaking evil against others is slander, right? Slander is speaking evil against somebody else. We also have another term for it. Character assassination, right? Character assassination. We are attacking somebody else's character. We are literally trying to kill their character. And we're going to see that, unfortunately, for like the next, what, six, seven months in the political sphere. Um, It's going to be very ugly. Jesus says, if you do that, you're going to be liable to the council. And when you insult somebody... Um, really, you're in, when you, somebody who's made in God's image, if you insult somebody who's made in God's image, then you are insulting the creator, the one that gave us his image, and insulting him. And Jesus says, if you do that, you're guilty. You're guilty of murdering your heart, and you're going to be hauled in front of the judge. David writes this in Psalm 140. He says, deliver me, O Lord, from evil men. 
Preserve me from violent men who plan evil things in their heart and stir up wars continually. They make their tongues sharp as a serpent's, and under their, li- their lips is a venom of asps. A lot of wars have been stirred up by insults, just by words that have been spoken. Uh, That's why slander is such serious business. To slander a person uh, made in God's image is to slander God himself. Um, This includes gossip too, by the way. Um, when you, if you were to come to me with a juicy piece of gossip about somebody and you start to slander them to me, then that is the same. Whether you're insulting them directly or whether you're insulting them indirectly through the grapevine, it's the same thing. Because now when I see that person, I see them through the lens of what you've told me, that slander that you've made against them. When you attack their character, now not only did it affect you, now it's affected me. Lastly, Jesus says, and whoever says you fool will be liable to the hell of fire. And to call somebody a fool, you're not just calling them stupid, you're calling them godless is what you're doing. You're pronouncing doom over them. Uh, Solomon said that the fool says in his heart, there is no God. That's what the fool says. So you're not just calling somebody stupid, you're actually calling them godless and speaking doom over them. I think there are like, there's like 99 references to a fool or foolishness in Proverbs alone. 31 chapters, 99 references to fool. And we could certainly warn people about their foolish behavior, but if we call people a fool, Jesus says that's equivalent to murder as well. The word that Jesus uses for hell is uh, Gehenna. And Jesus being a master communicator, he uses something, a word picture that people would understand. And there was this, Gehenna comes from um, the Valley of Hinnom, which was just outside of Jerusalem. And it has kind of a long bloody history, but in Jesus's day, it was used as the city dump. And so people would haul their garbage out there, dump it, and then light it on fire. Okay, in a city as big as Jerusalem, people were dragging garbage out there all the time. So there was constantly fire burning. There was constantly smoke rising from this place called Gehenna. And Jesus uses this word picture like 11 times to explain to people that if you do this, if you condemn people's character, you are going to be sentenced to a place where the fires don't go out, where the smoke never stops. That's the seriousness of the punishment that Jesus is talking about. And that's the danger of the evil of anger. Our anger has an effect on us. Uh, We don't have time to go into all the ways that our anger affects us physically, how bitterness affects us. uh, It's very well documented. Uh, People that hang on to bitterness and anger are susceptible to all kinds of interesting heart disease, which is really interesting because we have a problem with our heart. Um, And, you know, it affects us physically, but it also affects us spiritually. It affects our relationship with God. It gets between us and our worship Jesus says, so if you're offering your gift at the altar and there remember that your brother has something against you, leave your gift there at the altar and go. First be reconciled to your brother and then come and offer your gift. Now this one's interesting because it's not you who's angry. It's remembering that somebody else is angry with you. Now, this doesn't mean that we're supposed to make a list of all the people who are angry with us and go address it because... That could be a full-time job for some of us, okay? But what it does mean is that when the Holy Spirit brings that person to your remembrance, there does need to be a reconciliation that takes place so that it doesn't get between us and God. We've all done this from time to time. We walk into church and we're angry. We're upset. 
We either got angry on the way to church, or we're angry because of something else, and it's really difficult to sing the words on the screen when we have that inside of our heart. One of the things that the Holy Spirit does convicts us, right, of our sin, of our wrong, but then it also prods us. It also pushes us towards action. And the Holy Spirit might be bringing someone to your mind right now. And if he is, if there is anger, a bitterness inside you, then you need to resolve to make reconciliation between you and that other person. Because before we can repair the rift between us and God, we need to repair the rift between us and a brother or a sister. Just like the Pharisees, the Pharisees were really good at outward shows of piety. But all that outward show is worthless if we don't have inward sincerity and inward purity. The prophet Isaiah wrote about this. The people were worshiping and they were fasting and they were sacrificing. They were doing all the things externally that they were supposed to. But Isaiah writes this. He says, Is not this the fast that I choose? To loose the bonds of wickedness, to undo the straps of the yoke, to let the oppressed go free and break every yoke? Is it not to share your bread with the hungry and bring the homeless poor into your house when you see the naked to cover him and not hide yourself from your own flesh? Uh, how many of us have hid from our family members because we did not want to deal with a rift in the family? Um, I have. Don't listen. Family member in the back. <laughs> Some of us have done that. Um, but there needs to be a reconciliation that takes place. We can't, we can't worship the Lord sincerely if, um, if, that, is, if that is the case. Um, and if we know that there's something between us and a brother or sister, and we can do something about it, but we don't, then we are in error. Um, it's kind of like asking for forgiveness without repenting. You know, like, hey, you know, can you forgive me for this? I'm not really going to change the way I'm living, but I'm asking for forgiveness. Because if there's something that we know that we can do, but we don't, um, actually it's called sin. If there's something that we know to be right, but we don't do it, it's sin on our part. Well, Nathan, what if that person won't reconcile with me? I've done everything I can to reconcile with them, but they won't be reconciled to me. Well, Paul addresses that in Romans 12. He says, Inasmuch as it depends on you, live at peace with all men. Do everything you can on your end to be reconciled. And then if they won't, that's between them and God. But you have done your part. But oftentimes there's enough guilt to go around on both sides. Um, but at least you've done what you can for your side. Um, we can't have integrity in our worship. We have anger in our heart towards another person. Uh, get it settled first. Then you can come into the house of the Lord and worship. Okay, last thing Jesus says. says, come to terms quickly with your accuser while you are going with him to court, lest your accuser hand you over to the judge and the judge to the guard and you be put in prison. Truly I say to you, you will never get out until you've paid the last penny. Back then when you had a dispute with somebody, it was incumbent upon you. It was your responsibility to grab that person and physically take them to the judge. Okay, and Jesus is saying, once you get in front of the judge, it's too late. You need to make reconciliation with that person before you get there. That's an interesting analogy because once you stand before the judge, once judgment happens, it's too late. If you leave it up to them, it ain't going to be good for you. Because if there's evidence against you, you're going to be convicted. So make reconciliation before you get there on the way. 
that says you won't get out until you've paid the last penny. There aren't very many people that are paying off their debts in jail. And that's the point. You're going to be there. You can't pay it off. Somebody else is going to have to pay it in full for you, which is doubtful. Um, Paul gives us a great example of this, though, in a relatively hidden book of the Bible called uh, Philemon. And it's a very short letter um, written to a friend of his called Philemon about a runaway servant called Onesimus. And it's actually kind of funny. Onesimus uh, was an indentured slave who had run away from his master. Uh, This is funny because he hightails it to Rome. He leaves, hightails it to Rome, runs into Paul gets saved, and starts telling Paul his story. He's like, yeah, I ran away from my master, you know, Philemon. And Paul's like, whoa, wait a minute. Philemon? I know him. What are the odds? <laughs> he runs into Paul, gets saved, and then he knows his master. He says, Philemon, you got to make this right. Onesimus, you got to make this right. You need to go back to your master and make amends. You need to be reconciled to him. It's only 25 verses long. It's a short letter, so I'm just going to read it to you because it's really good. Uh, Paul, a prisoner of Jesus Christ and Timothy, our brother, to Philemon, our dear friend and fellow worker, also to Aphia, our sister, and Archippus, our fellow soldier, and to the church that meets in your home. Grace and peace to you from God our Father, Lord Jesus Christ. I always thank my God as I remember you in my prayers because I hear about your love for all his holy people and your faith in the Lord Jesus. And I pray that your partnership with us in faith may be effective in deepening your understanding of every good thing we share for the sake of Christ. Your love has given me great joy and encouragement because of you, brother, have refreshed the hearts of the Lord's people. Therefore, although in Christ I could be bold and order you to do what, I, what you ought to do, yet I prefer to appeal to you on the basis of love. It is as none other than Paul. It is as none other than Paul, an old man, now also a prisoner of Christ, that I appeal to you for my son Onesimus, who became my son while I was in chains. Formerly he was useless to you, but now he has become useful both to you and to me. I'm sending him, who is my very heart, back to you. I would like to keep him with me so that he could take your place in helping me while I am in chains for the gospel. But I did not want to do anything without your consent so that any favor you would do would not seem forced but would be voluntary. Perhaps the reason he was separated from you for a little while was that you might have him back forever, no longer as a slave, but better than a slave, a dear brother. He's a dear, very dear to me, but even dearer to you, both as a fellow man and as a brother in the Lord. So if you consider me a partner, welcome him as you would welcome me. If he's done you any wrong or owes you anything, charge it to me. I, Paul, am writing this with my own hand. I'll pay it back. Not to mention that you owe me your very self. (laughs) I do wish, brother, that I may have some benefit from you in the Lord. Refresh my heart in Christ. Confident of your obedience... I write to you knowing that you will even do more than I ask. And one more thing, uh, prepare a guest room for me because I hope to be restored to you in answer to your prayers. Epiphras, my fellow prisoner in Christ Jesus, sends you greetings, as so does Mark, Aristarchus, Demas, and Luke, my fellow workers. The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ be with your, your spirit. Um, this is, it's just funny because Philemon's going to be angry when Onesimus comes back. Onesimus is in trouble. And Paul tells him, you have the right to be angry, but you need to be reconciled. You need to forgive. Philemon, my friend, charge it to my account. Like, I'll pay you back. 
I'm in prison, but I'll pay you back when I get out. Not to mention that, uh, you know, I saved him. He's now a brother. He came to me. He's now a Christian. And oh, by the way, I saved you. I introduced you to Jesus who saved your soul. So I could demand this from you, but I'd much rather that you do it willingly. And oh, by the way, I'm going to come see you the first chance I get. So make up a room for me. I'm just going to come by just to make sure that things are, I know that you're doing this. I trust you. You're doing it, but I'm going to come by just to double check. And you're praying for me, right? You're praying for me. I know that you are. So what's the point? The point is today is the day of reconciliation. Just like it's written, today is the day of salvation. Today is the day of reconciliation because tomorrow might be too late. Tomorrow might be too late. Be reconciled to man and be reconciled to God. The danger in anger is that it cuts us off both from people and from the Lord. Cuts us off from relationship. You know you need the Lord and you know you need godly people in your life to steer you away from anger and out of the fire. Jesus says anger is going to take us into the fire if we don't address it. Worship team can come back up. Um, I read this story this week. Abraham's Lincoln's secretary, a guy named Edwin Stanton, was angered by an army officer who accused him of favoritism. And apparently they had a feud going and he was angry with them. And so he was complaining to Lincoln, who suggested that he write him a very stern letter. Write him a very sharp, write him a stern letter, put him in his place. And so Stanton did that and he showed the strongly worded letter to Lincoln who read it, and Lincoln said, well, what are you going to do with it? Stanton said, I'm going to mail it. Lincoln said, you don't want to mail that letter. You don't want to mail that letter. You wrote that letter in anger. Um, You know, (laughs) it was good for you, but now put it in the stove. Put it in the stove. Put it in the fire. Put your anger in the fire. You had a good time writing it, okay? You got it all out. You feel better now. You need to forgive. Write a different letter and mail that. But don't mail your anger to somebody else. Put that in the fire. Don't let it lead you to the fire. Anger is a choice. It's a choice. And if we're, if we're not careful, it'll become a habit. And those roots, those seeds of bitterness will go down. Those roots will go down deep. And not only will they affect you, they'll come out and they'll affect other people. And eventually it's going to crack the surface and it's going to cause all kinds of damage. I read this week that bitterness does more damage to the vessel in which it's stored than on the person it's poured. Bitterness and anger does more damage to the vessel in which it's stored than on the person it's poured. Good thing to remember as we head out.